This is a discussion around a table, episode number 010. On today's episode, we welcome back Jules, as well as her twin sister, Jen, and we talk about our experiences with type 1 diabetes and what it's like being diagnosed at 19 versus what it's like having a child diagnosed at 3. Stay tuned for the details and experiences, as well as we're going to answer the pivot questionnaires and what a diabetic EDC is. Back everybody to discussions around our table. Today we're going to be joined by Jules, who's a returning guest, as well as twin sister Jen. We're going to be talking today about our experiences with diabetes. As many of you know, we've talked about having a daughter who is diabetic, and Jen was diagnosed at a pretty young age. So, Jen, if you want to go ahead and kind of introduce yourself and tell us a little about your experiences with diabetes. Hi, I'm Jen. Um, I was diagnosed with diabetes at age 19. Um, I had been sick uh, for several weeks prior to being diagnosed, uh, but was diagnosed with an infection, started on antibiotics, um, and was not getting any better. I continued to be nauseous and not feeling right or well, and went back to the doctor, and they told me I was allergic to my antibiotics to quit taking those, so I did continue to be sick, continue to go back to the doctor. And I think between the infection diagnosis and actual diagnosis of diabetes, I'd been back to the doctor like five or six times. They were unable to pinpoint what was going on. Nobody drew any labs or anything. I just, it was chalked up to, well, you have an infection, you're on antibiotics, that's the issue. Until one day, I'd gotten up to get ready for school. I was going to Peninsula College at the time uh, to do criminal justice and had gotten up in the morning, walked out uh, to the kitchen where we had a sliding glass door and tried to look outside and it was very blurry. And I thought, gosh, I'm really tired. I must not have slept well, rubbed my eyes. Everything was just really, really blurry. Continued to get ready for school, was driving to school and thought, hmm, I can't really see that street sign, which was unusual. Uh, but again, chalked it up to just being tired, you know, having been sick. Got to school, walked up to the pub where I was meeting some friends, and we sat in the cafeteria, and I looked up to see what time it was, if it was time to go to class, and I couldn't read the uh, numbers on the clock and thought, mm, something's just not right. So I ended up calling my mom and telling her what was going on, and she said, you should take yourself home. Um, I'll call and see if I can get your doctor's appointment um, for this afternoon. Uh, and so I drove home and uh, kind of took a nap and waited for her her to come get me. She came and got me, drove me to the doctor's office, uh, told them all my symptoms. I was living with seven roommates at the time, and uh, it turns out that excessive thirst and peeing frequently is a classic signs of diabetes, uh, which I had been experiencing but didn't really put it all together. Mom took me to the doctor. They had me run, they ran some labs and sent me over to the hospital to do that and then said, come back in an hour. So my mom and I did that, um, went back after the hour and they said, you know, it's going to be a little bit longer. We're running some more tests. We'll come out and get you when we're, when we're ready. And so they did and brought us back into the room and the doctor had said, well, I hope you're not doing anything this weekend because you know, you have diabetes and much to my surprise, (laughs) um, I got to spend five days Um, in the hospital uh, as they regulated my blood sugars. My blood sugar when I was diagnosed was 890, which if you know anything about diabetes is pretty excessive. So they instantly, I was dressed and ready to go to work because I just didn't think something was, you know, quite that wrong. And uh, the doctor's office was right across the street from the hospital and they wouldn't even let me walk across the street. They put me in a wheelchair and wheeled me over. Um, And I was a direct admit to the ICU, you know, multiple IVs started, x-rays, you name it, labs drawn as they try to get my blood sugar down. Pretty concerned with that number. So um, that's where I 
sat as they brought my blood sugar down. They started me on an insulin drip, um, so IV insulin right away. And that's kind of where I sat for five days as they, you know, tried to teach me everything there is to to know and, you know, give me the tools that I needed to, to be on my own. So pretty, pretty ser- scary experience at 19 for sure. But, uh, you know, all these years later. Yeah, so it's been roughly 14-ish years. Is, I mean, just over 14 years. Is that how long you guys have been married? Mm-hmm. That's how I keep yeah. track. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so their uh, wedding, uh, I was really, really sick. Um, I was in their wedding, and I remember specifically how ill I felt. My sister's bridesmaids, or all the bridesmaids, had gone to get their toes and things done, and I was unable to sit for that long because I was so sick. And so it was an emotional experience for me as I remember driving down from the uh, the rehearsal dinner, I'm sorry, from the rehearsal to dinner and uh, having to have my boyfriend pull over so I could throw up and yeah. Yeah, you lost like 20 pounds in like... And, and two weeks, yeah. They'd fit my dress, my bridesmaid's dress to me days before the wedding and we went in the day of the wedding and I put it on and my mom zipped it up and it fell to the floor and the... Safety pin it. Yeah, they had to safety pin it. The seamstress was not real thrilled, but we didn't obviously know something was going on at that point, so... Yeah, I thought you were bulimic and I think she holds that to me to this day. Because <laughs> we lived together at the time and, you know, she'd wake up and... Or we'd wake up in the morning, we'd have like chocolate milk or fruit punch in the fridge full gallons of it. And by the time we woke up in the morning, it was gone because she would literally wake up in the middle of the night, extreme thirst and drink and drink and drink and drink. That's where I was going with that earlier. Yep. (laughs) So, I mean, to give some people a little bit of a baseline of what all these numbers and all this kind of stuff means. So what is a normal blood sugar? Like if somebody who does not have type one diabetes, who is generally healthy, what could they expect their blood sugar range to be within? I'd say 80 pretty normal yeah there's a range you know 80 to 120 i i think is normal yeah so yours was roughly eight times the normal amount correct do you remember what your a1c was it was it was a little over 13 13 7 i think or 13 9 yeah so i mean essentially an a1c is just a number that the doctors use or labs use that kind of tell you what an average blood sugar over the previous three months months was Mm -hmm. also known as the lie detector test (laughs) Yeah. And so if yours was 13 and then normal is what, like six? Below, they want below seven for sure if you're a type one. Um, if you're non-diabetic, uh, the criteria is anything to, up to six. So like 4.0 to six, yeah. I think is what it so is. So then that eight times puts you at roughly double. And it's unknown how long you actually had diabetes for before you were diagnosed. But... I asked and they thought for up to a year because... They looked back in my labs and had seen increasing blood sugars, but again, nobody had drawn any labs and I had been so sick. That's what they tell me. But yeah, it was definitely a buildup of time. I mean, but in some of the symptoms that you were describing, which now we recognize as being more classic classic of extreme thirst and frequent, you know, urination, but at 19, you know, we were partying like partying and drinking excessively (laughs) for that and little maybe TMI, but you also have like the bladder the size of a pea. And so for you, excessive urination is normal compared to other people. And Mm so all the symptoms likely weren't as, you know, detectable. If you're someone who had a more regular peeing schedule, you probably (laughs) would have been brought to your attention a little bit sooner. Like, why am I, why is this so much different? But Mm -hmm. when you're going once every couple hours versus once every like five to six hours, like a normal person (laughs) that definitely has that change you know we weren't you know necessarily excessively drinking booze or that kind of stuff but you know we were 19 living on our own having a good time and no one in our group of friends was i would say had a healthy diet i mean Mm -hmm. it was junk food and 
like I said, fruit punch and chocolate, chocolate milk. milk and I remember I, specifically the dietitian coming in after I'd been diagnosed and she asked me if I knew what a carbohydrate was and I looked at her like uh and she goes, okay, so I see we're going to have, you know, going to have to start at the beginning. And I remember thinking, I'm 19, lady. I live on my own. I eat pizza and McDonald's and I don't know. So, yeah, we did not have a healthy diet. But The fact that you weren't in DKA, which is diabetic chiasidosis, is mind-boggling, though. Because some kids are diagnosed, you know, young with high blood sugars that are in diabetic chiasidosis or DKA. So the fact that you weren't and neither was Cassidy is... We got lucky and caught it our daughters early because of the symptoms that you were portraying that kind of, mm-hmm. you know, gave us a little bit of a cheat sheet to go off of. Why is these things happening? Why is our three-year-old who's potty trained peeing in the bed? Why is our the, her babysitter saying she just can't quench her thirst? You know, quench her thirst. And so it's we caught it so ridiculously early that she didn't even go on insulin for six six months, months or something like that. I mean, she got her first initial bit to get her blood sugar back under control, and then. And that was and that was also had a lot to do with she was on medication as well, which then amplified you know the time frame when she was going to get it. I mean, they say she would have got it no matter what, but it's still the medication she was on made her likely get it sooner. Where they actually had to wait until that medication ran its course through her system before they can even really give us any definitive numbers. I mean, we're definitely one of the uh, cases the got in early on with a a resident as opposed to um, a fellow or an actual um, full-time doc, whatever. She was, you know, baffled, and um, we've had her the whole time, and she's now um, a full-fledged doc or whatever. But she was always going back to us saying, we caught her so early, we don't know what to do. We don't know how to treat it. We don't know what carb ratios to tell you. So essentially, you know, how many units of insulin do they need to get per gram of carb that they eat and those types of things. And so they had no idea what to do with us initially we were only in for like two days three nights or something like that and before they let us out we had to go all the way to children's but we found out with our daughter here at our local hospital and then had to take the two-hour drive to a you know a children's hospital which was much more equipped and much more prepared for mm-hmm. that but it was a two-day three-night or three-night or two-night three-day stay and then she was also had so she was on prednisone for her asthma and so because she had a cough, they had to put her into contact isolation. So then everybody had to gown up and she wasn't allowed to have visitors and she wasn't allowed to, um, it was a day before Halloween. So she wasn't allowed to obviously go trick or treating or anything. Cause one, she's in the hospital and two, she's diabetic. So we have no idea what a blood sugar would have been if we would have just let her eat like a three-year-old on Halloween. Kind of just lucky, for but... reference, her blood sugar when it, when it was checked was 556. So not as high as Jen's, but it was definitely up there. Definitely a, you know, a shock. Yeah. And I was the one that actually took it. I asked my manager at the time, hey, can I use the glucometer in that room? And she's like, yeah, sure. And she left for the day. And so I took Cassidy in there and I checked her blood sugar and she's screaming bloody murder because she didn't like the poke. And 556 popped up and I'm like, oh God, that's not normal. And so I went out and actually got her nurse because I work in the heart center. And I uh, got her nurse at the time and said, hey, can you come in here? I said, I took my daughter's blood sugar and it said 556. And so... She stormed in there and took her blood sugar, and it was even higher. So she's like, you have to go to the ER. And, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. So I you know, called called my husband, called my sister, and told him what was up and headed to the ER. And Yeah, I was at work, and so I'd come in. I mean, luckily I have a you know an employer that is really family-oriented. So you know, I just told my boss, hey, this is what's going on. My daughter's getting sent to the ER, and they didn't even care if I had coverage, whatever. They just said, just go. And so that's where I met everybody there and figured out what was going on. And, you know, the doc pretty much just, he's not a diabetes doctor. He's just an ER doctor. But he said, yeah, your daughter has diabetes. There's no question about it. Because there's generally no reason that 
a normal person without diabetes blood sugar should be that high. that high your pancreas works in such a way essentially giving you insulin like stuff to always regulate your blood sugar and so it shouldn't go up that high mm-hmm. um, that's why they have you fast before you take blood and that kind of stuff so that you're they get a better idea of well, if you haven't eaten your blood sugar is high it's likely for more likely that it's a diabetic symptoms as opposed to something else but and this is all also related to type 1 diabetes or you know juvenile diabetes where type 2 diabetes is similar as far as you're more insulin resistant but you're not necessarily you can you still create insulin yeah, you still create insulin and you can usually control, control it with diet and a lot of people who get diagnosed with it can essentially cure it themselves if they follow the strict diet and exercise and lose weight and do all these types of things so they're actually some push to not really call it type 2 diabetes anymore because it's not really diabetes i mean it's similar symptoms but it's not necessarily the same and everyone at the table knows as of right now diabetes is a lifetime disease and it's a chronic condition it's nothing that's gonna there's no cure for it yet there's no just essentially manage the symptoms of it right and it's not because from eating too much sugar as people think or so getting diagnosed at 19 we had a friend who was diabetic before that so luckily you kind of had her to help out but still we had no idea even with you being diabetic our daughter got diagnosed we had an idea but no real we don't really know what it is or what it's like to deal with it until you actually have go it. through it besides the shock of hey you're diabetic and you gotta give yourself a shot all the time now because you got in when pumps were too expensive and too hard so you were shots for a long time mm-hmm. over um, a year that and they did say they wanted me to be sufficient doing shots before they put me on the pump and yeah dang expensive too so the hardest part you can argue either way which is better and which is worse, you know, not that you should compare them, but, you know, Cass probably doesn't remember anything different, mm-hmm. you know, she, but she knows that Nen, me, uh, you know, has it and but at 19, you've already lived your life for 19 years one way and now you're telling me I have to manage this chronic disease that I'm going to have forever and, you know, I really just got my two feet under me and trying to navigate life on my own essentially and now this, so... Um, that was definitely a challenge. And I really struggled with my identity at that time, too, because, you know, I wanted to be normal. I didn't want to be different. Like you said, we were having parties on weekends. And now I have to worry about what I'm drinking and what I'm eating. And, you know, like, it's not fair. I definitely had a pity party period and just really, really struggled at, you know, I think at that age. But I also I feel like the angry transition was fairly short for me and I kind of got a hold of it you know where some people I know in the teenage years is are more rebellious so yeah I mean so our friend that had it it was um Sarah and she kind of went through the same thing where she kind of rebelled against the diabetes she didn't you know she knew that she had it but didn't necessarily want to be compliant and you're kind of the same way where neither one of you were necessarily compliant diabetics for the whole entire time you were I don't care if I'm not supposed to eat whatever I'm gonna have this sugary drink or this carb loaded pizza or whatever and i don't care what the consequences necessarily are deep down i'm sure you still did you didn't want to you know not wake up the next day but Mm -hmm. at the time you didn't care what your blood sugar was or what your doctors would say or whatever you just did which isn't necessarily that a normal from normal you know teenage rebellion it's just that much harder and you know there's a lot of downstream things that they warn you about that since they are downstream you probably don't necessarily think about too much i mean the infertility the Bad, bad for your kidneys, you start getting neuropathy, you, know, neuropathy, you, <laughs> you get di- diabetic nerve pain, I mean, all these things that could happen but aren't happening. And so, you know, to your you... Your consequences aren't acute, for sure. Yeah. And that's, I think, why people, you know, why it is easy to be like, nah, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Diagnosed at 19, 
you're trying to get started. Obviously, a multi-day stay in the ICU is very expensive. You know, so you had some setbacks with, you know, different things, trying to get all that caught up and paid up. The time before, this was long before Obamacare and everybody having insurance, trying to pay for all these things and work and have a social life, have a boyfriend. Was there other things that you really struggled with or is just did it some things come easier than you thought i guess would be the oh diabetes rocked my world for sure and especially you know yeah i did not have insurance um i was working at the front desk of a of a local hotel at the time i made eight twenty an hour um and my first night in ccu was you know over 10 grand or some darn thing like that once i got my bill um and so i yeah i couldn't afford it and i couldn't you know afford insulin as it was test strips um are a buck a piece without any insurance so if they're wanting you to check your blood sugar six to eight times a day and they're a buck a piece and you don't have any money, that's rough. Uh, sometimes I chose to, you know, I had to buy insulin. Um, and so I would eat, you know, you can't eat super healthy and follow a diabetic diet when you can't afford the medication to take care of yourself. So that was really a struggle. And, you know, just starting off on your own and, again, struggling with living with a bunch of people and trying to, you know, of course I tried a lot of the time to do it right, but... I also didn't have the, you know, the means to do it as well either. So um, that was tough. I got my bill, started getting bills, you know, shortly after diagnosis and there was no way I could pay them. Um, And so they started garnishing my wages. Once I went back to work, I was, you know, working full time and getting 400 bucks a paycheck or something like that. And they were taking the other half in garnishments to pay my medical bills, getting phone calls every day, multiple times a day from people who wanted money from me because a several night stay in the hospital is expensive and I didn't have the money. And so um, by the age of, let's see, 26, I think, um, I had filed for bankruptcy. My regret is that I didn't do it sooner because it was all medical um, when I sat in my lawyer's office and were filling out the paperwork. And it had been brought to my attention that I could do that earlier. I just, I really struggled with it because, you know, here I am in my 20s and having to file for bankruptcy and I wanted to try to do it. I wanted to try and pay those bills off, but, you know, one person quits garnishing your wages and then the next person steps in and then they file more, you know, fees and this and that. And, you know, there's no way to catch up. And so as I'm sitting in my lawyer's office bawling um, and he showed me what I made that year and what I owed, I owed more money to the hospital than I made that entire year. And uh, he said, this is, you know, why and how you can put your head on your pillow at night because there is no way you could pay for this. And so, um, so I did it. I filed for bankruptcy. You know, I think it, I think I was 26. And it was, it was so, I mean, the best essentially thing. almost seven years then. I mean, if you, depending on when exactly, when you were 26, did it seven years of trying to struggle and battle back and get all that kind of stuff and still live, live a, you know, a semi-normal life. I mean, we were ones that it wasn't just, hey, the two of us are going out to dinner. It's 15 of us are going out to mm-hmm. dinner. So everybody always wanted to be included. So everybody always, you know, went out. I mean, I don't think any of us really truly learned how to cook until we were... <laughs> mid to late 20s and that kind of stuff and so it was always if it wasn't hamburger helper or ordering pizza it was going out to mexican or going out to okasan we frequented (laughs) yeah going out to you know some type of chinese food or whatever and it was an expensive way to weigh to live without medical bills and Mm -hmm. then having medical bills um, makes it that much harder and then like i said trying to eat healthy is expensive even now i mean our Bills went up for food alone, went up a lot for, with our daughter. But then when she got diagnosed with celiac, it went up even more because it's even harder being gluten-free and diabetic. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's definitely a struggle. Since then, though, I mean, since you've kind of been able to, you know, right your ship and obviously you're 
successful now. You're married, not to the boyfriend that you had when you were diagnosed. But thank God, no I'm kidding. <laughs> um, you've successfully completed nursing school. You have two kids and all that kind of stuff. Is it? I mean, I'm sure it's gotten easier, but are there still struggles? Um, pregnancy. I pregnancy, like. I w- yeah, is definitely a struggle, and I'm kind of on the other end of the pendulum right now because you're so aware as you're carrying you know these little people that everything that you do affects them and so you know instead of checking my blood sugar six times a day I'm checking it 16 times a day um and my A1C actually through my pregnancies were about 5.9 my first pregnancy is where I kind of lived um and even less this pregnancy 5.4 um which is pretty incredible and my my perinatologist and my doctors were so impressed with that because I essentially had the A1C of a non-diabetic but was using insulin, you know. Um, so that's just major control, you know, take checking your blood sugar so frequently and, you know, really being on top of it. So that is probably the biggest challenge. And, you know, now I'm kind of on the swing of that. My baby's seven weeks old and um, I'm, I'm adjusting still breastfeeding, um, you know, seems to rob me of my sugars. And um, so... I, I actually said to my husband recently, like, I have no idea how to control my blood sugars nursing because I just don't. I try to do the same thing and it's just not, there's no consistency. So, um, is it going up higher or is it, are you tanking down low? Tanking. Yeah. Tanking. Um, so that's the, you know, frightening part, I guess. But that's diabetes. I mean, you do something one day and do it the exact same the next and your sugars are completely different. So and for the people who don't necessarily know going low is fatal faster than going high i mean you have to get into the i mean there are people who have gone to dka you know in the five six hundreds but generally you know you were at 800 and you know could you have sustained that for months more probably not but could you you know was it going to kill you that day if you didn't go to the doctor no but tomorrow you could your blood sugar can drop into the 20s or teens and you would never wake up again Mm -hmm. i mean you could do that even before you go tonight i mean you give yourself too much insulin for whatever reason or um, for people who are on shots who do the long-acting and short-acting, you know, I know we had an experience with you giving yourself the, the, the wrong insulin one night. So since you gave yourself too much of the long-acting thinking that it was short-acting, I think it was. Gave myself too much short-acting thinking it was long. Was that what it yeah. was? Mm-hmm. And so then, you know, me and you hung out pretty much The wee all hours night of the morning. <laughs> so that you could check your blood sugar all the time and... Drink orange juice with yeah. sugar packets in it. Yep, because it's... I mean, that's always the risk because you never necessarily know when you're going to go low. And, you know, you can exhibit signs of intoxication when you do that. So you're not thinking clearly when your blood sugar goes low, uh, which for us has been a struggle because our daughter seems to be asymptomatic, high or low, that she doesn't always act different when she's... She had a 50 yesterday and it was no different than if she was 500. She acts the same. But I know you've experienced lows and people have commented, hey, are you okay? Have you checked your blood sugar? You know, you're out shopping or doing different things and yeah, to remember. you you probably <laughs> might not necessarily be recognizing what's going on where somebody else is like you're something's off not acting right I mean, we haven't been drinking and you're acting goofy what's going on mm-hmm. and so there's always that risk i know that in my time in the fire service and even doing law enforcement we've gone to calls where people are either unconscious and you can't wake them up but there's no necessarily external reason for it. you know there's no drugs and there's no alcohol there's no trauma that happened why is this person not waking up we check the blood sugar and it's in the 40s or in the 50s or something like that and then so we have to get them you know if the paramedics they usually pump them full of what they call d50 which is essentially just really strong sugar water or if they can swallow you give them juice or something like that then you still got to give them food um but as a diabetic you know it's pretty much pretty common for you to be carrying snacks mm-hmm. all everywhere you go mm-hmm. and it's 
even not just your snacks for your kids, but snacks for yourself because you don't necessarily know when am I going to get to that place where I can eat. You know, if you're stuck in traffic somewhere or stuck at work somewhere where you might not have access to your food or you miscounted your carbs or you ate less or more than what you thought. So it's, I mean, it's a constant balance. Which is interesting because I was, like I mentioned earlier, I was in school for criminal justice, excuse me, when I was diagnosed with diabetes. um, And because I didn't know enough about diabetes and, you know, the fear comes of, oh my gosh, you know, in any police situation, like, what if I'm held hostage? What if, you know, like my sugar is going to drop and I could die? Like, seems dramatic now, but at the time, like I had no idea what living with diabetes was going to look like. And so, you know, essentially it was that experience and the wonderful nurses that I had that cared for me and wanting to teach. Um, And part of that struggle too was, um, you know, I was in an awkward age where they didn't really know what to do with me. I was too old to go to children's per se, but too young, you know, they wanted to send me to all these classes, but it was all for type twos. And, you know, I was the youngest person in there by 40 years. And so they didn't really know what to do with me. And so I wanted to educate people. And so anyway, that's why I essentially went into nursing, but it's, it, you know, yeah, you just don't know. And now it's, you know, like I said, seems dramatic, but at the time I just had no idea. So yeah, and you would have, you know, going back to your finance that kind of stuff, you had reached out for financial help from, you know, the, the government and all that kind of stuff. You know, everybody else, well, I can get insurance, I can get these types of things. But because you were in that Well, you did, and spot, they were like, nope, yeah, sorry. And so it's, you know, you are too old because you're, you know, not a juvenile because you're over the age of 18, but you're not teenage pregnant and you're not addicted to drugs mm-hmm. and you're not low enough income because you were working you were trying to make something yourself that they essentially told you sorry yep and go out and then you had to then you know fast forward seven years file for bankruptcy where in other people's experiences they would not have to go fast same thing because they could have gotten on medicaid or mm-hmm. they could have gotten some type of um you know washington we call it you know a quest card or essentially food stamps or other things that could have helped supplement but you didn't qualify mm-hmm. for any of those type of things which then makes it that much harder because mm-hmm. you have to pay for all that on your own and all that kind of stuff. And I remember being pretty angry about that too because I did I did try to file for basic health and they told me no, that, you know, I was in, made too much money. I said I make a 820 an hour. Um, and essentially the lady that had called and told me I was denied told me I would, you know, I would be better off being, you know, having, be, getting pregnant. <laughs> Not an option, you know, and I did, because I did, I wanted to make something to myself and do it right. Um, and I remember just feeling very, very angry um, and I had gone to the grocery store and the lady in front of me, you know, buying her chips and candy and whatever with her, you know, food stamp card and then her booze separately. And I just, yeah, I was kind of angry at the time uh, because, you know, I wanted to do it right and, you know, to do it well. And, you know, here's somebody, in my opinion, that was abusing the system and I couldn't get any help. And so, yeah. yeah. No, I could see at a young age being frustrated. I mean, really at probably any age is be frustrating as you're wanting help and that you're not, Getting the help and for you know, and as someone who you're trying to do something for yourself, you just want that little bit extra. You're not looking to be completely taken care of. Mm-hmm. You're just wanting that little bit extra help take the sting off mm-hmm. of something, help give you that kind of guidance. Like I said, there was you know, you couldn't go to children's where their program for the most part is great. They check in with us every three months and they gave us loads of I'm sure they put it in our bill somewhere, but they said, you know, free stuff. Here's all this books and pamphlets and you know, they gave um, our daughter a bunch of stuffed animals that she could practice her own, you know, injections on and fake needles and that kind of stuff so that she could get used to being around them and having to do them and it's not scary. And like we said, that, you know, she was screaming bloody murder the first time I ever chucked a blood sugar and then fast forward three weeks later and she's doing them all on her own at three. And ever since then, she's 
pretty much doesn't, I mean, unless she's sleeping, she doesn't all by herself, even at school or those types of things that she checks herself. She doesn't treat herself, but she's at an age now where she can read the carbs on the back of any food that she eats and that kind of stuff. I mean, I don't know many six-year-olds who are aware enough to look at a carbs and realize what's in there, mm-hmm. how much it is, and, you know, she portions out her cereal or different foods and then comes to us and makes sure that it's right. You know, she's had some struggles with that, like just like you did, where mm-hmm. she was sneaking food and so she was eating food untreated and doing different types of things which i imagine is very difficult for a six-year-old to not be able to eat whenever she kind of just wants to when she has a brother who all intents and purposes is completely healthy he has none of the issues that she had he knows science diabetes you know he just had his blood drawn not too long ago and it was fine maybe some gluten intolerances that are kind of there but he can eat you know sometimes he'll go a whole day and stuff with gluten and be fine and the other days he'll eat one thing of cereal and get sick so it's unknown with that one yet but it's struggle i'm sure and i'm sure even now you probably still see somebody eating something you wish you could eat you know you'd want to have that super sugary drink or that big thing of dessert but if you didn't necessarily treat yourself all the way forward or if you've already kind of gone over what you've set for yourself it's like you're kind of your carb limit for the day i'm sure is parts of it I mean, being an adult you're obviously it's much easier for you to kind of look at a plate of food and calculate in your head how many carbs this is and get an idea of what you're going to treat yourself for and how much of that you're actually going to eat you know we can put food in front of our daughter and she's oh i'm gonna eat the whole thing and eats half of it. Well, we treated her for the whole thing, so now we got to catch up. Or she eats the whole thing and is still hungry. Mm-hmm. Well, now what do we do? Because she has insulin on board, and her food's kind of digested, but not all the way digested. So how do we treat her for that extra 10, 15 carbs or whatever it is? Which, at her age, you know, 15 carbs isn't free. Where I know probably for you, if you ate a 15 carb snack, you might probably don't have to treat yourself for it because it's what they call a free food. But for us, we've we've never experienced free. Her body reacts. Yeah, for sure. I can tell you the biggest thing for me is, was the carb counting. And I remember my sister being, cause crying, crying, crying. Cause I'm like, I'm never going to get this, you know, like, I don't know how many carbs are in this and on and on and on. And Jen would be like, you'll get to the point where you'll look at food and you'll just know. And I like never thought that was actually going to be a thing. And now not only can I do that, but Cassidy can do that. She can literally like, you know, the other day she ate something and she's like, um, mom, it's 15 carbs. And I look at the back and sure enough, it's 15 carbs and I'm like, good job, you know? And so it has been absolutely amazing, not only for us to like learn, but for Cassidy. I mean, that's age six. Mm-hmm. I mean, you literally look at a plate of food and you're like, boom, I know I what see this numbers. is. Yep. See, you see numbers, you don't see food. Yeah. First, it would still be the hard part when we go somewhere that's out and then trying to figure out roughly how many carbs that restaurant makes their food or whatever, because it's sometimes unknown if they use, you know, different foods or whatnot, it's can be different you know one place that serves you know this drink is this many carbs and one another place is a little bit different so it's trying to you know to using apps like my fitness pal a lot figure out how many carbs are really in this thing I mean, we get phone calls all the time from you know the grandma and grandpas when they call and say she wants this or that how much do i treat her for you know we're at the fair what do i treat her for for this whatever item or you know how much is you know a hamburger at a barbecue or how much is a hot dog at a barbecue and those types of things that you know, the package isn't there to look at, so you got to figure out how to treat for it. And in our experience, you know, our both of our parents heard free food for certain things, and so they would just let her eat whatever she wanted it because, well, it's free. She can have as much of this as she wants because it says there's no carbs in it, which for her has never been the case. My parents obviously have the misconception of what you feed and, like, what they're allowed to eat. What are, in your experience, what are some common misconceptions that people have about people who are diabetic? Because there are things that people have said to you that... At least it's not cancer. I feel like that people say that to us all the time. Yeah, that was a thing. And I remember being at the Y and working out and having my insulin pump on my side and, you know, checking it because 
well, working out drops your blood sugar and you got to be kind of hyper aware of, you know, symptoms and especially while you're running on a treadmill and being, having somebody say, you're working out, like, what do you need your pager for? (laughs) I was like, I'm sorry, what? Uh, So that was an interesting experience. But, you know, I think people have good intentions, but are kind of the diabetes police, even though they don't understand it. So like, can you eat that? Should you be eating that? And it's this constant question. And it's amazing to me how many people think you need insulin to raise your blood sugar. You know, like that has been kind of a frequent misconception that I've experienced with people. Oh, you know, your blood sugar is low. So did you need insulin? And I'm like, what? (laughs) Uh, Because now to me, that's, you know, very obvious that that's the wrong answer. Uh, But people just don't know. And that has, you know, that doesn't change. It's been my whole diabetes experience that yeah. people do, just don't know. Yeah, that's been, you know, my experience is always kind of been related around food that people, you know, have the best of intentions. And, you know, being diabetic nowadays really isn't as bad as it was right. 20 years ago. I mean, it's a lot easier to manage. And really, you can eat or drink whatever right. you want on diabetes. You just have to treat for it. Mm-hmm. And you, essentially, you'll be like a normal person. It's just making sure you treat for that. But what I find is, you know, people who are good intentioned of why buy your daughter sugar-free candy. When you look on the back, there's more carbs in sugar-free candy sometimes than if they would have just bought a regular candy. Because people automatically assume, well, you just can't have sugar. You're diabetic means you can't have sugar. No carbs is what affects your blood sugar because it turns into glucose and then it causes everything to go high. And so that's been my biggest experience. People trying to be nice and so you accept what it is but they think they can just oh she can eat as much sugar-free candy as she wants because it's sugar-free right well that's not the case i mean you always got to be counting carbs i mean it's the epitome of the atkins diet of you're always counting carbs Mm -hmm. and portions i think you know yeah you can look at the back of something and say oh it has 15 carbs in it well if you eat two servings of it it has 30 (laughs) um and so people don't always put that together either yeah i mean almost all packaging isn't for the full for the, thing. For the one serving is, you know, two or three servings in this. Even anything from pop, I mean, that's usually, you, they don't say drink the whole 12-ounce can. It's, you know, two servings in this. So if you're not paying attention to that kind of stuff, and, you know, yeah, you shouldn't be drinking a bunch of pop anyways. But, I mean, that was your thing for the longest time was diet pop is because really the only thing that you could drink that wasn't necessarily going to spike your blood mm-hmm. sugar one way or the other. I mean, you couldn't drink. Can't do juices. Can't do, yeah. A cup of milk was 13 carbs. Mm-hmm. And so if you can't do milk, then, you know, if you wanted... Then chocolate milk, you're adding even more on top of that. You can't do any juices. Mm-hmm. You can't do Gatorades or those types of things. Everything everything has carbs. I mean, I challenge everybody who's listening to it. Just in your normal day, what you're eating or drinking, just turn around and see how many carbs you're intaking. See you know, how much what you thought wasn't as high or necessarily as much sugar. Just look how many carbs it has. Even if it says zero sugar, what's the carb number above that? Because you're always going to see the sugar below the carbs. It's kind of like a subcategory of carbs. And that's what you're going to see. So just because it says zero sugar, but it has 35 carbs. For our daughter, that's equivalent to almost a a meal for her. I mean, she usually eats between 40 and 60 carbs for her dinner. That's for me too. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you're drinking 35 carbs in that protein shake that you think is sugar-free or whatever that... It's not necessarily the most diabetic friendly when people think it is diabetic friendly. And then when it blows your mind, when you realize like what foods have how much in it, just for reference, a can of Coca-Cola has 56 carbs in it. And, you know, some people down five or six of those in a day. That's my like weekly carb intake. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, essentially the food you're eating has a added cost to it because you got to cover yourself with that much more insulin. And so if you are, Deciding to go on vacation, you know what, I'm going to have 
care, you know, free and just do whatever I want, eat whatever I want. And then you end up blowing through your insulin in your pump. And now you got to change your insulin sooner because you ate two to three times more than you usually intake. Um, so, I mean, our daughter is on, what is it, like six to eight units a day, which really is nothing because I'm sure you cover yourself with six to eight units sometimes. A meal, yeah. yeah. Um, I think I, right now, am getting about 35 to 45 a day. Um, when I, at the peak of my pregnancy, at the very end, I was getting almost 70 or 80 units a day, though. So, which is, oh, a, you know, close to a week's worth of insulin for us. I mean, but that was the thing that I think was the most different between being an adult diabetic, you know, you were 19, adult diabetic versus child. Like, I mean, Cassidy was on such low doses of insulin you know versus you Mm -hmm. you know her carb ratio was when we started what you know was one to 50 or something like that or i think actually in the very beginning it was one to 80 you know then one to 50 and you know now she's down to one to 35 mine's still one to 10 one to 15 which again essentially she could at beginning she could eat 80 carbs before she had to be covered by one unit of insulin and so if you're now eating 35 units worth of carbs and that's a lot of carbs if, if you had a if you right now had a one to 80 carb ratio and you're covering yourself with 35 a day i mean you're eating thousands of carbs <laughs> i'm sure you would love to have that day yeah. um you know you're so uh, different mm-hmm. yeah and you know it's also you you know you made it out of your you know puberty stage and so that's they said is for us is going to be the next real big hurdle is that it's a hormone but then you're going through puberty and so then your body's out of whack because of the hormones and so that's why for us, we're having to go back every three months because she's growing. Minus your weight fluctuation, you're all but done growing mm-hmm. and where she's not. So yours is likely going to stay pretty consistent. I'm sure it's been pretty consistent with your carb ratios and that kind of stuff. You're mm-hmm. probably not changing your numbers very much. But but even was- really close, you know, TM, TMI probably, but even like close to my period, which obviously I haven't had in a very long time because I have a seven-week-old. But every month I freak out and I'm like, oh my gosh, why are my blood sugar so high? Uh, and then, you know, my first day of my period, I'm like, oh... That's right. You know, it is a hormone. And a week before my I start my period, my blood sugars will go from being beautiful and perfect to, you know, now I have a 200 and I didn't need anything. What the heck? So, you know, it still affects me. But yes, as far as growing goes, yep, we're done with that. But yeah. it is interesting, the hormone, you know, the play effect and, you know, sickness and, uh, you know, emotional thing. It's just, it, everything affects yeah. it. <laughs> Well, I mean, there's even trauma. I remember um, that time that you uh, decided to belly flop off, off, off a high ledge. <laughs> it totally wrecked your blood sugar. And there's no other contributing factor except for the trauma that you caused to your body. I mean, you didn't break bones or knock yourself out or any of that kind of stuff, but it was just... Just my pride. Just the, your belly flop. <laughs> just that the was off the, t- the punch bowl for those of you that know. Yes, I belly flopped off the top of the punch bowl. I mean, it's only like 40 feet up. It's so. fine. It hurt. I cried a little. Yeah, but and, that, and then my blood sugars were very yeah. angry. <laughs> and so it can be little things like that. So you don't even have to necessarily eat, eat anything, drink anything, or exercise. And for, you know, in our experience, we've actually seen our daughter's blood sugar go up after exercise, where for you it goes down. And so you got to make sure to fuel with food appropriately before you go to work out so you don't drop too low. But for us, we got to be more wary of making sure that she doesn't go in riding that line of being too high before she goes in or else she's going to completely spike but then is it going to drop really fast and that kind of stuff that's sometimes our experience will you know every day is almost different for us well some days she'll eat the same food two days in a row and one day we're able to control her blood sugar and the next day it skyrockets for something little or sometimes like what did you eat and she really didn't eat anything different but if that day it skyrocketed her or the incident didn't cover her the same 
or any of those types of things. But you know, speaking of you know, like the numbers, for us, it was actually because we caught it so early with her, because she was on any insulin, um, I think it was one of the main reasons why we were able to get on a pump sooner because her carb ratio and the amount that they needed her to be covered per day was so low that they couldn't give us a syringe small enough to draw the insulin up into. So essentially, the amount they would fill the needle of a normal hypodermic insulin needle was too much insulin for her to cover almost everything. So they said it was easier. The pump could deliver a much smaller dose than a normal insulin needle could. So that was what, one of the reasons we were able to get on a pump. From the beginning, we've never been on shots. We have all the stuff for emergency purposes, you know, should the pump fail and that kind of stuff. But we've now going on three years, have never had to give her a shot. And even though it's probably less traumatic really than, you know, the insertion sites that she gets for her pump and the, she has a continuous glucose monitor, which can be a pretty good sized needle that gets injected into her arm to initially set it, as opposed to a hypodermic needle, which is super, super tiny. I mean, it's like what a 28 gauge or something smaller tiny. than that even. But I think if we today had to tell her, hey, we need to give you a shot in the butt, she would freak out, even though it's, I mean, essentially the same size needle as the lancet you're using to poke your finger with mm -hmm. she uh, likes consistency though with Cass. i mean that's her thing is you know you try to switch it up on her and game over yeah i mean even switching from going from her arms to her butt cheek or where she puts her sight or we tried her legs even she i mean it is you bloody know, mother negotiating with somebody who's irrational at that point and thinking that somebody's sawing her leg off because she's screaming so bad so any other misconceptions that, you know, people have out there about, you know, diabetes, if they have a friend who's diabetic, I mean, any advice that you could give to them or things that are all myths and no truth behind that people need to consider? Um, I think the biggest, like, best thing for me is I feel really well supported and, you know, my friends and my family, like, sometimes know that my blood sugar's off before I do. Um, I remember shopping with my girlfriends, you know one day and um I didn't realize that I was low but they kind of thought that I was being off and you know I had just like a different look on my face and it was recent after my diagnosis but they said you should probably check your blood sugar and I and I was pretty low I was on shots at the time I don't remember what the number was specifically but um you know it was really awesome that they were able to catch that and you know my husband even says you know what's wrong? Like, are you hangry? You know, check your blood sugar, like see what it is. So, you know, just really pay attention to your friends that have it. Make sure, you know, the diabetic police, you know, we all, we know what we're doing and we know what's allowed and what, you know, if we're doing something that we shouldn't do, we know that. Um, and it's okay to say something, but. So you're, you're looking for more support than control. Yeah. Cause you're, you can control yourself, but sometimes a little bit extra support. Yeah. Is good. Having someone have that watchful eye on you but you don't need to be told what to do yeah that's what i'm guessing exactly you gotta live life too i mean and it's about balance you know i certainly don't go out and drink a bunch of coke and cover it with insulin and uh you know i try i definitely eat pizza you know but i don't eat 10 pieces of pizza and you know mashed potatoes and you know all this carb loaded stuff i usually pick pick my battle feel like i eat what I want, but I try to, you know, keep it healthy. And that's been my latest and greatest is really just taking care of myself and, um, exercising. I do CrossFit. I CrossFitted through my pregnancy and that, you know, that's a big misconception too, is because you have diabetes, you can't. Um, and I don't let di diabetes stop me at all. I think getting out of my own head was the biggest thing. Um, as far as doing things that you think that you can't do because you have diabetes, um, has been the biggest reward for me because I don't let it stop me at all. There's nothing that I can't do. I have two healthy babies. Um, you know, I'm married. I have, I'm a nurse. Um, I CrossFit. There's nothing. There's nothing that I can't do. Um, and diabetes doesn't control me. I control it. And so 
Um, yeah. And you've traveled and gone on road trips and done all kind of stuff, and you've been able to find food where you can eat it anywhere you've gone. You've never been without. And like I said, yes, you can eat whatever you want. It doesn't mean that you should eat mm-hmm. whatever you want. And that's even just, just for healthy lifestyle stuff. I mean, you don't really have anything to relate it to because, you know, all of us when we were 19, we weren't really thinking about the gym or working out and that kind of stuff. And so it wasn't until after that. But have you found there additional considerations for working out when you're going to do it? Like any additional concerns that your coaches have had for you or anything that you've had to maybe be more wary of because of it? Oh, yeah, because the concern for – so for me, you know, with CrossFit, you're doing some aerobics, some weightlifting, all that stuff. So me, I have to kind of balance because I find when I weightlift, when I strictly weightlift, my blood sugar actually goes up. Um, but when I do cardio, it goes down. So is the, you know, workout of the day going to be more cardio or is it going to be, you know, so I have to take that in consideration. Um, I'm a 5 a.m. workout person. So, you know, I get up at 4.15 and I make sure that I eat something. Um, usually I have a protein shake is what I have as I'm flying out the door. And I just, you know, make sure I know how I feel and I make sure my kit's there um, in case I need to check it. My coaches all know that I'm diabetic and they have glucose tabs. I've had a girlfriend say, you know, hey, maybe you should check your sugar. You know, are you doing okay? Um, You know, when we're doing high intensity cardio stuff. Um, And so, you know, it's just, I used to feel kind of embarrassed, you know, about, you know, I don't want people to know. I don't want to make a big deal, but ultimately it's my health and my safety. And so, you know, I don't care who knows. And, you know, I've told my story a thousand times. I've taught many classes, you know, um, and that's just, you know, it's for my well-being, you know, so I don't care who knows. And so I just say, hey, I'm diabetic. If anything seems off, like, let me know, you know. And so just having that additional support is is helpful. Has a lot of people reached out to you knowing that you're a diabetic, you've had it for so long, minus us? I mean, because you had Sarah to kind of lean on mm-hmm. initially. And then, you know, we had you to lean on, but has there been, we've been contacted since then by recently diagnosed children's parents and that kind of, have you experienced that as the same? I mean, cause you're pretty open about it. You know, your initial desire was to go into diabetic mm-hmm. education, but um, you necessarily haven't reached that, but you have taught classes in diabetes education. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. When I, after I was first diagnosed and really kind of got a handle on things, um, I work at the hospital. I've worked at the hospital for almost 14 years. Um, and, uh, there was a hospitalist who would diagnose, you know, people with type one diabetes and they'd call me down to come talk about it. Um, I've had multiple families through friends or family reach out and say, Hey, would you mind talking to this person? They were just, you know, their kid was just recently diagnosed or whatever. Um, and the thing I always tell people is that it's hard. Nobody ever said that it was going to be hard and it is hard. It has its days for sure. It's definitely not as hard now as it used to be, but that initial transition into all of this stuff is very difficult and, you know, emotionally, physically, um, it kind of, it breaks you down. And so if somebody would have said, Hey, this is going to be really hard. Um, here's what to expect. I feel like I would have been better prepared than this is going to be second nature. You're going to, you're not even going to think anything about it, which is true. That's totally the case now. Um, pretty much the only time I remember that I'm diabetic is, you know, when I'm packing for a vacation and I have to pack loads of supplies or, you know, I mean, I obviously take insulin at every meal. Um, but it's second nature now. I don't, I don't think much about it, but I never thought that I would get to that point. And, and and again, like nobody ever said it was going to be hard. So, um, that's why I tell people when there is support and you will get to that point. But initially I think not being, told that it's going to be just this great thing and you'll get used to it and it's all rainbows (laughs) you know definitely a learning curve and there is still a lot of people who don't necessarily understand i mean for us you know you're on a pump 
our daughter's on a pump, but there's still people who are on shock. And so then people see them with needles in their purse or in their car, that kind of stuff. And I think instead of jumping to the conclusion of, oh, you're probably diabetic, right nowadays it's, oh, you must be an IV drug mm-hmm. user. You must have these issues. I mean, going to events where they're searching your purse and that kind of stuff and they see insulin supplies, a lot of people don't know, well, what is that? Or what is that? On, you know, like I said, what is that a pager on your hip? Because I mean, the pump isn't small, small but it's not huge. Yeah. And, you know, it's similar in size to twice the size of a, you know, an old school pager. Uh, half the size of a cell phone but much thicker and that kind of stuff but you can't go through um, metal detectors you go through metal detector you can't go through the scanning scanning that kind of stuff and so i know we've had a bad experience with tsa where one airport kind of understood and we were able to get through then the next airport's like stripped what are you doing you know pull us aside search all of our stuff had to pat down our daughter try to separate her you know she's only six and all these things and it's that inconsistency and that kind of stuff but it's not as limiting as some people might necessarily think you can travel with a lot of mm-hmm. stuff you can have that um pump on you you can go to concerts and events and do i always get patted down that's my you know i always say hey i have an insulin pump and pe- in general most people are happy to you know pat you down and make sure i don't go through metal detectors at the um i just tell them you know and then they'll wipe it and make sure it doesn't have explosives in it and let me go you know go on my way but i've cruised i've gone internationally it, it doesn't stop me <laughs> No, and that's good. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to actually get our daughter on here and um, get set up for that, so stand by for that. So we're back, and we have our daughter on. So, Cassidy, tell us, what's your experience been with diabetes? Um, When I first got diagnosed... I had to spend Halloween in the hospital, and I didn't get any candy, so I I got a Halloween costume to go in, and I got Rocky, the Paw Patrol, water toys to play with in the bath. Yeah, the hospital gave you a, a costume instead of candy because you couldn't have the candy. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember being in the hospital? Yeah. Was it scary? Mm-mm. No, it wasn't. Do you remember the first couple of times we had to check your blood sugar and you were crying and you didn't like it? Mm-hmm. One time the nurse came in and I woke up when she opened the door and, and mom and dad weren't even sleeping so I'm like, mommy! Yeah. And then, but now you check your blood sugar all the time, right? Mm-hmm. And you do it all by yourself? Yeah. And haven't you actually showed people how to check their blood sugar? Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. When you were first diagnosed, you went to a class where they... You showed a whole bunch of really old people how to check their blood sugar, remember? You remember? I thought it was you don't remember that? Yeah, and they were all so amazed that this three-year-old could check their blood sugar, and they were in their 60s, and they said, well, if you can do it, I can definitely do it. So, obviously, diabetes all the time, and so when you're in school and you still have diabetes, what's that like being in school with diabetes? Um, I have to go to the office three times a day, and I'm... And they check your blood sugar down there? Mm-hmm. And then they treat you for it? Yeah, I have to go down to the office before lunchtime so then they can treat me for the lunch instead of while we're walking down. Yeah. So it would be quicker and I just can go back to my classroom. Yeah. So what would you say to somebody who's mommy and daddy or who, for them, who just got diagnosed with diabetes? What would you tell them? I would tell them, don't be scared. Don't be scared that they could do it. Mm-hmm. Yep. What's one of the things that you found to be not as scary 
anymore. Mm. Is your is poking your finger scary? Mm, no. No, you can do that. Mm-hmm. What about for you getting your pokies put in for your diabetes? Is that scary anymore? Mm-hmm. That is scary. Mm, pulling them out. You don't like pulling them out, but mm-hmm. how about when we put them in? Is it scary then? Mm-hmm. No, you can do that all the time. What about mm-hmm. your CGM in your arm? Is that scary? Mm-hmm. Do you like having that? We can see your blood sugar all the time. Mm-hmm. And what do you carry with you all the time? That we always tell you to go grab. What is it? Diabetes bag. Yep. So you think all little boys and girls should have a diabetes bag? Yeah. Yeah. What's yours look like? Mine's green and orange. What's yeah. in it? My kit, my phone, some lotion. Um. Yeah, we use your phone to keep an eye on your blood sugar. Mm-hmm. There's no games or nothing on there. It's not a fun mm-hmm. phone, but it's to keep track of your blood sugar. Mm-hmm. Your glucagon? Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is your emergency stuff. So if everybody think it's a real phone, because I just carry it around everywhere, and like people would say, "What's on your phone? What's on your phone?" I'm like nothing's on your phone. And when people ask me what's that on your arm, I don't like to tell them. How come? I don't. I just don't like to. You don't like to? Mm-mm. Well, you shouldn't be ashamed of. It. You should be proud of it. You should tell them you have diabetes, and you're no different. I just don't like to tell them. Yeah. That could be hard. Mm-hmm. Like a billion people ask me, and I'm like, it's disabandoned. I don't want to really tell them. Yeah, that's okay. Anything else you want to say about your diabetes? Mm. My lowest blood sugar was 42. 42? Mm. Do you know what your highest blood sugar was? Mm. Over 600. Yeah. When I lose my two teeth. Yeah. And last night I lost my other two, third teeth. Yeah, you pulled it right out all by yourself. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to have it pulled, though. So mm-hmm. yep. that caused trauma. And, mm-hmm. and the last two, it was like little wiggly, and it and it flew across the room. Yeah. When you had them pulled. Yeah. And the yeah. blood sugar went really, really high. So when we go to the hospital every three months, what's that like? Do you like going to the hospital and seeing your doctor and seeing your team? Do they make it fun while you're there? You color? Mm-hmm, I color. But the thing I don't like going there for is my blood draw. Yeah, when they have to draw your blood every year? <laughs> I don't like to do that. Yeah, but that's how we found out that you mm-hmm. were gluten intolerant and why you are always having your belly aches mm-hmm. and why you weren't, you know, being able to grow. Your hair was getting mm-hmm. not any longer. and mm-hmm. So... It's a good thing we got your blood drawn so that we could figure out how to make you all healthy mm-hmm. again. And remember in that movie where he said, I'm lactose intolerant? Yeah. That's funny. That was funny. But you I'm, have celiac, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you been able to still do everything like everybody else? Mm-hmm. What are kind of the, some of the stuff that you still do? Do you still play soccer? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do you go swimming? Mm-hmm. And what else have we done? You ride your bike? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So has there been anything you haven't I been able to do? I can still do a bunch of tricks. I can do it with one hand. I can still stand up on my bike. Yep. And you go on the monkey bars. Mm-hmm. And you do gymnastics at home. Mm-hmm. But one time we put on my bow and I did a handstand and it popped right out. Yep. So we got to be careful where we put your pokey. So has there been anything that you haven't been able to do because of your diabetes? Mm, no. No. You can still do everything every other little girl can do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you just can't do 
Um, forgot. <laughs> it's okay. Well, thank you for coming on. You're we're welcome. Gonna, we're going to transition back to finish up on talking to your Aunt Nanny, okay? Okay. Okay. back one more time we're going to start winding this down a little bit so jen is there anything last kind of things you want to say about diabetes or your experience or anything like that with it um or you think you covered it all i think yeah we i mean we covered it and you know everybody's experience is just different and keep on keeping the keep on keeping on um you know one day at a time yeah yeah okay so now we're going to transition into the pivot questions we weren't able to get to these last week with those who listened to to the air force edition with ryan we kind of ran out of time but we have plenty of time today so we're going to ask him so jen what is your favorite word hmm. <laughs> my favorite word um let's see i have a favorite word nothing not that isn't a curse word we could have two favorite curse words. <laughs> I could. Um, nothing. Nothing? Nothing. So do you have a least favorite word or a word that you don't believe should be a word? Like bay or, bay <laughs> fleek. or fleek or irregardless. Bay. That's dumb. Yeah. You don't refer to your husband as bay? He's not your bay? No. Mm-mm. That's he's good. My po- he's my pookie bear. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. And pookie bear's probably not going to listen to this, so it'll be okay. <laughs> So, what is a trait that you find attractive? A trait that I find attractive. Um, it could be a physical trait. It could be a personality trait. It could be something that Pookie Bear does that appreciative of or that anytime he does it, you know, has the same. Kindness, I'm going to say, because um, my husband's a very kind soul, almost to a fault. So, um, I would definitely say kindness. Okay. So along that same line, what is a trait that you find unattractive? Cockiness. It's one thing to be confident. It's quite another to be cocky. So you didn't know what your favorite word is, but you know what your favorite curse word is? It starts with the letter F, and it's four letters. (laughs) I think most of us know what that is, but we'll keep the the MA rating off this one. so. (laughs) So what sound or noise do you love? Uh, I would say the rain. I'm a PNW girl all the way, so I love the sound of rain. Yeah. Fall's like your favorite season. Like ever. Yeah. Yeah. So what sound or noise do you hate? My guess is probably your children crying. <laughs> that, that one. Yeah, especially lately. Um, is there anything you hate more than your children crying, sound-wise? Um, no. <laughs> it's probably my children crying at this point because it's so fresh in my mind. <laughs> So what profession, other than your own, would you like to attempt? So if you couldn't be a nurse, but you could do any job, regardless of the pay, what would it be? Oh, I still think I'd like to do some sort of, like, police detective work. So something in law enforcement? Yeah. Um, I also think, you know, even military, I definitely have a... I would have probably gone in the Navy if I could have, but I was, you know, diagnosed with diabetes too early, so... Yeah. So on the same part but on the opposite end of it 
What profession would you not like to do, regardless of how much money I would pay you to do it? What's a job you would never do? A respiratory therapist. Who would ever want to deal with phlegm? <laughs> Yuck. <laughs> I can do any bodily fluid except for that one. Oh, yeah? You don't like the, the loogies and the... Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Can't do it. All right. So I do know that you are, you know, a spiritual person, but like us, has wandered away from that lifestyle, but... If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Welcome. <laughs> Welcome. You made it. Not turn around, go back. Strong work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or we're full. You don't want to hear any of those things? <laughs> no, I don't want to hear any of those things. Okay. Good try. No. So another thing that we've just started, and yours I think will be a little bit more unique because of your diabetes, what is your daily EDC or your everyday carry? The everyday... Jen leaves the house. What is she putting in her pockets? What is she carrying on her purse? Uh, I always have my glucometer. I always have my insulin pump. I always have my cell phone. I usually try not to lose my keys. <laughs> um, those are like must-haves. Even right now, I'm just carrying a diaper bag and not a purse. And those are my things that are always in my bag. Anything else that you carry that makes your life easier to carry any pocket knives or flashlights or are you a concealed carrier i'm a concealed carrier and i have my 38 special with me all the time so that too all right anything else you want to add to uh this podcast before we start winding it down no all right well thanks for coming on anything that you want to add twin sister jewels no no keep on keeping on cassidy has her own facebook page i guess you can follow her at the sweetest life of cassidy kind of fun to see and interact and we tell our life of what it's like to have diabetes yep and as always you can follow us at discussions around our table on instagram it's the only social media that i have for that um there's a link to our email on there as well i'm still looking for people sending questions or topic ideas and that kind of stuff so make sure to find us on there discussions around our table and make sure to like subscribe anywhere where you consume your podcast whether it be podbean who hosts this or you can find us on spotify itunes google play stitcher Um, I've gotten pretty much all those hits, so make sure to like, subscribe, and review. The views, information, or opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved. We do not represent any organization, current, former employer, agency, community, group, government, entity, or individual not present during the recording. The host of discussions around the table and their guests are not subject matter experts in the topics that are discussed unless strictly expressed by the host or their guests. Any information given on the podcast is done so in good faith, if no malicious intent, or intentional misrepresentation. While the host and their guests have taken every precaution to ensure the content is both current and accurate, errors can occur. We make no representations as to the accuracy, completeness, correctness, suitability, or validity of any information on this podcast. We should not be held liable for any errors, omissions, or delays in this information, or any losses, injuries, or damages arising from its use. It is the listener's responsibility to verify their own facts and form their own opinions. The listener should consult with a licensed professional familiar with their particular factual situation for advice before making any legal, financial, business, or personal decisions based on the information from this podcast. Any action taken based on the information of this podcast is strictly at your own risk.